Hi guys, welcome to another episode of In The Know. Um, today we're joined by Alexis Powell-Howard from Fortis Therapy. Welcome to the studio, Alexis. Thank you, thanks for having me. Um, do you want to tell us, um, first and foremost, and the viewers, a little bit about um, Fortis Therapy and kind of your story and how that came about? Yeah, so Fortis is 10 years old this year, so we just celebrated uh, with a really nice party. Oh, congratulations, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, getting to 10 years and... Um, yeah, the reason it kind of came about was I was working in the NHS in uh, what's classed as tier three uh, mental health service. So working with complex psychological difficulties and the writing was on the wall really for restructure and, you know, it was being, it was changing in terms of the, the provision and, um, and I'd, I'd kind of got to a point where I thought I, I can't, I can't do it this way anymore, you know, in terms of trying to fit in. I love the job and I love the work, but the actual cultural system and everything I was in just didn't fit for the way I felt that it should work. Um, so a few months before they were going through the restructure, I um, set up what was called Mentis at the time, which is Latin for mind, um, and gradually started to, with a business partner, gradually started to build up you know, client work and mediations and trainings and all sorts of things. So by the time the restructure was happening and the redundancies came up, I could go because um, I was literally at the point of really need to let me go now because I've got enough work on and need to jump. Um, so I managed to get some redundancy money. So I knew I'd got six months to make it work um, and, and and went from there really. Um, but the I guess the reason I went into doing the whole mental health training and therapy side of it in the first place was due to my own experiences of when I was about 19, um, had a quite a severe car accident and was diagnosed with PTSD. And there weren't really any services that, that I could access that were of a, of a good standard. Um, I did have support, but both of those ended quite badly. One with the guy making inappropriate advances and the second one was someone falling asleep so you know eventually quite a few years later I thought I'm going to go and see what this is supposed to be all about it wasn't my intention to do this and what I'm doing now but just loved it um, and thought well if I can do it well and um, you know the qualities there and the the ethics are there and everything else then that's what I'm going to do and that's where it kind of came from really I just started training and kept going. So the the initial jump with Fortis, you say you already had some kind of, you were quite busy with working with your own clients. And yeah, I always had a private practice. Yeah. Um, so I'd converted my um, garage at home so I could see clients in the evenings and weekends and things like that. Um, and so I was kind of doing that in the day for the NHS, then doing that in the evening and really started to speak to places like schools and um, police forces and businesses and colleges and saying, you know, what what services do you need to help with people? Not HR services, but, you know, when people are in that more complex, um, more complex needs, dynamics being difficult or whatever, and, and just started to get those contacts, you know, building that network up and yeah. putting the hours in. What was the initial response when you reached out to to these organisations? Was, was it apparent that there was instantly that there was a need for it was did the conversation flow quite naturally yeah initially it was it was um you know when you're sending all those emails i don't know if you had the same thing but when you send loads of emails out to people like you've got your own email address and your own business name <laughs> and no one's responding you're like please email me back yeah. anything um 
But what I did was I went to the people that I'd already done work for in the past, you know, like, you know, there was a lady at, um, at Grimsby College, for example, that I'd, you know, I'd, I'd been a lecturer and a head of programs there. So I got in touch with her and said, if there's anything you need help with. Um, and she was like, actually, can you speak to our HR team? Because there are some people we could do with supporting. And, um, and you know, gradually those relationships I'd already really built up over the years started to, to, to come into their own. And then I was in a meeting, um, like a child protection meeting for a family that I was working with at the time. And one of the schools in the room said, you know, oh, here, you're all going through a restructure. And I said, yeah, we are. Um, and they said, isn't there anything you can do that we can just buy in? Because we can't access, the services just aren't there when we need them. And I literally got my business cards that morning in my bag. Yeah. And I was like, funnily enough, <laughs> here yeah. you go. And, it, and that, it just really rolled. You know, once you've, I think once the ball's rolling, yeah. And you you know, then we had some work we could talk about. Then we had some feedback and testimonials and things like that. And then it starts to to build up. Yeah. So when you um, when you kind of went full time with the business initially, was it um, I guess it was a steep learning curve in terms of like the business side of things or did that come quite naturally? Or? Some things um, some things I learned the hard way. Um, I'd, I'd worked in my family business growing up, so we, which was very, it wasn't a mental health business. It was a fish and chip shop. Exactly. Um, and a tea shop as well. And we had a catering engineering company. So I'd grown up from about the age of, I'd say probably 10 or 11 working in the family business and gradually building up and learning. And a lot of things that I'd learned that made sense to me. I didn't really know what that was. So like inducting staff, for example, that made sense to me and I did it automatically without knowing yeah. what that was. And then at the same time, I'd gone to night school to do business and finance. So some things I'd got a, quite a good handle on. And I think um, I love the freedom of being able to try stuff out and see how it goes. Mm. Other things I didn't know anything about. So, you know, I had a, a working knowledge of account, accounts, but didn't know enough about anything really. Um, you know, I knew we needed a website, which I wrote the content for, and I got my brother to help me to put it out there. And and you wanted a logo, and you know he's creative. It's like, can you draw me a tree? <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and so I pulled on who I'd got around me because I think that's really important. To I can't be the jack of all trades. You know, I just don't know enough. So there were things that were gaps, um, even things further down the line. So the reason we changed the business name was because there was. Um, an IP intellectual property problem with the with the name that we'd chosen so we changed it to Fortis um, and that cost a lot of money to you know to come to that realization then change it then own the name so you know this you don't know what you don't know mm. is the reality and yeah. you sometimes don't find out until you think oh no I think that <clears throat> we it's kind of a common uh, theme that you know we speak to a lot of entrepreneurs and stuff and and even our own experience that I think there's always reasons why not to do things or why you can't do things, but ultimately you just have to start sometimes. And then yeah. those things you just kind of figure out, don't you? As you yeah, go you on. do. And there's lots of people um, out there, isn't there? To mm, ask. Yeah. Yeah. There's always, you know, we've, we've been fortunate to have a network of people that you can, you know, draw on. I think that's, that's invaluable kind of, especially when you start off to, because I suppose the nature of 
reaching out to people you kind of start to build a relationship with them and then yeah it kind of goes on like that yeah it you? does relationship and we know that don't we, from business networking perspective that's what people are looking to do and, and I think that's the building meaningful relationships in business is really important because you know there's a lot of people you can be connected to and you know LinkedIn is a prime example of that that you can be linked with people but not necessarily have relationships with them that are actually any use mm. um, I love having that tribe of people that I just kind of go I don't know let me just ring someone ask ask a question yeah if someone who knows more than me um and I think that's one of the key things about setting up a business running a business developing a business because it never stops does it it's always evolving and changing if it's if you're doing it well I think yeah so speaking of that like how was um so from when you set up you know Fortis and our mentors and Fortis mm. how has it developed um, to where it is now, what um, kind of? It's just grown and grown, which is fantastic. Um, but the, for me, I think it's being almost a bit preemptive of some of the things that are going on, you know. So um, some of our services have massively developed from, you know, we started off with one office in the business hive in Grimsby um, and we built up to three and then we moved into a premises in Grimsby um with seven rooms and then we've the way opened in Scunthorpe and Hull and Louth and wow. yeah and then we you know everything's then gone online as a result of COVID and so we've gone from being people who did therapy to people who also do you know um mediation and a lot of therapeutic coaching and we coach a lot of leaders and we do a lot of culture work in organizations well-being's massive um I don't think you can ever have your eggs all in one basket um, and at one point we had a lot of work in schools and in education, for example. So we were getting known for that. But I, I, I realized that all it would take would be a diff different decision around funding or the government would bring something in and we would be screwed. Um, and my main thing is helping people, you know, help as many as we can. Um, and we're always trying to be creative and innovative about how we do that, whether that's a community group or, um, you know, trying to find ways of being able to offer lower cost therapy for people and you know just just try and figure it out and um so it's grown from being me and had a business partner and that that ended probably five or six years ago now um and then went just went for it on my on my own and but I have a really good team you know that's developed over that time as well and that makes all the difference yeah I was just um going to ask about how the services have developed really in terms of um, you know, I'm familiar with some of the organizations that you support and that kind of thing, but, um, I suppose, yeah, just how, how that's developed from when you started off to what, what you offer now. Yeah. So originally it was very much, um, either contracts in education or it was private referrals. Um, and what, what we've developed over the years is, being able to um, set up those kind of service level agreements with businesses. Uh, so, you know, recently we've got a contract with the RHS, which is incredible. And we'd never have thought that would have been something we would have, you know, managed to achieve. Yeah. And then other businesses around the area, some of the, you know, larger businesses. So who really want to support their teams. So whereas it would have been very kind of traditional therapeutic approach, I guess, um, now we are able to offer a service where they can ring us and say, we need this person needs support or that person within their business can ring us and say, I need some support, I work for X. So can we 
um, you know, can I access the service? Um, we celebrate, we, we um, advertise it within the businesses. We, th- we feed back um, very minimal amount, but usually around uh, any themes that we're seeing, but we would always get the permission of people that we're working with to do that. Um, we also go in and do the training. So, you know, if you've got managers and leaders who aren't sure about how to support someone who's struggling with mental health or even recognize the signs and symptoms, you know, really what we potentially see is quite basic stuff, but actually really de-skills people. People really want to do the right thing, generally speaking, but don't want to do the wrong thing. So we'll avoid having that conversation. Um, and then working with, you know, organizations like the um, adoption support services. So, you know, from it being in that individual work, we now do kind of couple work and families. Um, we do work between, you know, um, partners um, and we really can try to assess what's needed to make sure that whatever we do is right for what that, whatever that situation is, mm. rather than it being, oh, they need to fit on the pathway or a particular way of working because that's what we offer. If we're not the right service, we'll say that. But if we can find a way we're able to support them, we will. Yeah, that, I mean, that was where I was going with it, really, to understand if it's driven. I guess it is driven from uh, trends of, you know, what, people really need and i think that's great that you're basing it around their needs rather than you know because i think some sectors people sometimes have to fit into boxes a little bit it's really and i think that's what i found when i was a client you know if you if you've got x problem you have this Mm. well that might not be right and there isn't a there really isn't a you know a magic pill that's going to in any way, shape or form, whether that's medication or therapy, that's going to fix everybody. Because if it did, well, I'd be a very rich woman for a start. Um, and it would be very simple. Um, and it, it, it just isn't. So, it, you know, we have to be adaptable. And that's one of my biggest frustrations, I think, with statutory services is they are swamped, you know, and I, and I completely get that. I've worked in them. Um, and I understand that it has to be system driven in order to be able to provide a level of service but there's an awful lot of people who don't access any service or can't access any service that actually would just really benefit from support and I'm not talking about you know people who aren't who aren't particularly um unwell say it's low mood or something like that there's always a reason those are just symptoms of something so for me it's understanding okay so what's underneath that and how can we help you um and we've definitely seen an increase in complexity you know in terms of what people are holding and you know, a lot of people were left with their own headspace for a while there um, in lockdowns and things and not much to distract or, avoid, you know, to help avoidance. So those things come to the surface. They do, they, they bite you on the ass when you least expect it. That's what it does. That's what mental yeah. health does. So in terms of, um, would you be comfortable talking about maybe the the shift in some of the kind of big um, sort of themes that yeah, you see people struggling with in recent years yeah i think i think there's been the way i kept seeing it i suppose over the last three years particularly there's always been themes but they've always taken a bit of time to come through whereas in the last three years it's felt like there's almost been one way like almost a bit of like a tsunami wave and then another tsunami wave. you're like oh okay this is what's happening all right okay this is where people are at now and i know when um at the beginning of covid i was on the radio a lot and i was being interviewed in podcasts and things and and a lot of the themes that we were seeing were people just feeling completely lost. Um, and there was a real sense of loss, like identity, people losing their jobs. They didn't know how to function as a family or as a couple because they were very busy all the time and could avoid that. Or um, an increase in domestic abuse because no one could escape the house. And 
Um, we saw an increase in self-harm. Uh, young people particularly were struggling with things like body dysmorphia because they were on screens a lot. You don't, you know, we're not, yeah. we're not used to communicating and seeing ourselves in that communication. Yeah. Um, and suddenly you're right there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they were struggling with that in school. Um, we've seen problems with eating and really high anxiety levels as well. Um, and I think in, in businesses, particularly trying to support people from a distance. So even though now there's a lots of choices that have been made through things like flexi working, hybrid working, that kind of thing. How are you checking in with people to make sure they're okay? You know, it's getting more difficult to get people to come in, even for meetings and things in some businesses. What's that about? And, you know, how do you do that without it becoming authoritarian and dictating what people should and shouldn't be doing? Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, it's a difficult balance to strike. So. There's definitely been those themes. And I mean, currently what we're seeing is um, real difficulties for children in early years. You know, they've probably for the last, if they're just starting school or they're in that kind of um, preschool bit, they've probably not been doing the socialising that we would have expected that we would normally do. So, you know, all those groups weren't on and all those kinds of things that, that they go along to. Um, and so we're seeing a difference in development, in social skills, um, in the ability to learn and that creates issues for then schools to try and innovate which they do I mean they're incredible how they try and still meet the needs of what a good education looks like for example through the government side into what's actually the reality of what's going on in their classrooms and then you've got young people who I think you know the whole going off to uni thing which a lot of them are still doing but I what we're seeing is that some of them are choosing not to choosing to stay local and um you know be home and all the financial issues and everything else as well so there's an awful lot of different stresses and i think and i know it's not a nice thing to talk about but you know we know that the suicide rates are going up and i i, I was only thinking on the way here you know we've heard and, and been connected to people that we've we've known who've taken their own lives and and i think I, I do feel that quite personally because I think we're not just not doing enough and 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 therapy isn't the answer to sorting out all of those different things. We have to get the system right and therapy is there to help those people who, who need support, absolutely. But it can't therapise out of of where we are, yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I guess it's, yeah, the people struggling. It's, uh, it's their actual, the foundation of their lives, maybe their, the situation they're in. Yeah, and and trying to en enable people to to look after themselves and take time and all that self care stuff. I'm banging on about it all the time. People to get bored, like oh my god, here she goes again. But it it's, has to be part of part of what we consider. Mm. You know, we're very good at working and um, and doing what we should do or what we feel we should be doing. But there's an awful lot. Life's not just about that. Mm. Obviously, <clears throat> it's an ever changing thing. How do you actually try and anticipate or stay on top of changing the world you know changing issues in society mm. or our trends or uh, we try and have lots of different ways of approaching people the, the fundamental basic of all of that is affecting people you know and what what works in one area will probably work in another as well you know because we're all human beings at the end of the day um, so we try and flex what we're doing. So it might be a community, you know, we've got community groups where we try and share information. So we've got the Westerly Club for Men, Men's Mental Health and 
you know, we've got the F word, which is where we just kind of every day we just share something that's, you know, just validating or something to think about. Um, we try and do blog posts on a regular basis of different topics, which are really important and that we're seeing in the media and we're seeing in terms of trends in the client work we do. But then it's 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 how we offer our services um, to and we, we feed back as a team. So we have things called peer support groups. So every month everybody is in a peer support group who's, a, who's one of our therapists and one of our team. And we all share, um, not the detail, obviously, but we share the, the themes that we're seeing. So that then feeds into then what we then offer and our training, it gets developed. So, um, you know, we've done a lot with lots of work with police officers over the years. From those therapy sessions, we then collaborated with um, Pete Thorpe, who's um, a superintendent now, but he was a detective uh, chief inspector at the time. And we're collaborating with him again. And, we, you know, we looked at what are the themes that come out of therapy? What is he seeing in terms of the teams he manages? What's potentially on the horizon? How can we make sure training's absolutely fit for purpose? How do we feed back any themes from back that into the senior leadership team? So, you know, it's not like we go in and we do something, we come out. I just think, well, it's, it's a waste of time. You need to do something which actually has an impact. Mm. So we're constantly reviewing and thinking about how can we, how can we, um, share information and knowledge not that we've got all the answers because we don't but we're just trying to preempt really what we see yeah um all the time I, I know it's probably hard to kind of condense down but is there going back to what you're saying earlier about ways that um that you maybe convey to people that they can help themselves especially with i suppose like you kind of touched on the work-life balance and mm -hmm. is there any kind of key self-care tips that you could maybe share yeah i think so. self-care is really it's a really individual thing you know if you look at a medical model we'd be looking at it from you know are you taking your meds if you take meds when you should and do you go and see the pharmacist when you've got something wrong with you or do you go and see the gp that that's on a medical model that's what self-care is but when you're looking at it from a mental health and a well-being perspective you know we taking action to have experiences and to put things in our daily lives that really help us to lift our mood is really important. Um, and you've got to track yourself, you know, so if I always talk about, you know, scaling, we do it a lot in mental health. So if 10 the best you've ever felt and um, one's the worst you've ever felt, where are you on that spectrum right now? And that isn't just about your mental well-being. that's physically and, um, you know, it might be about um, feeling that you've got a purpose. It could be to do with relationships, um, you know, fitness, um, nutrition, all, you know, hydration, all of it, which is hard to pick one number, but it's, you've got to start somewhere. So you find that number and think, right, well, how am I going to improve that by one? What am I going to do in order to improve that number by one? And, and that is a really helpful way of just breaking it down into something that feels a bit more manageable. Mm -hmm. So if you're a five, what's going to be, what's a six look like? Don't have to be. Oh God, I'm a five. I need to be a nine. How am I going to get there? It's what's that incremental step? So that could be anything from getting your sleep routine right to what you're eating to your exercise to movement, just in general. But it's also that social connectedness, and I think that's one of the things we lost a bit of. Mm -hmm. um, we told a lot of you know um, social distancing, but actually, it was physical distancing, mm -hmm. the social stuff we still need. Um, having things in the diary to look forward to, spending time with people who actually give you a boost, not people who bring you down, you know, 
drains. We don't want drains. We want people who, you know, are more radiators who you feel better and warmer with. So it's it's on all sorts of different levels. But if we don't take care of our mental health, we don't take care of our own selves, no one can do that for us. And a lot of therapy is helping people to recognize that they have a right to look after themselves. They've got a right to say no to things, you know, the right to make mistakes, you know, all these things that we give ourselves, beat ourselves up about all the time. Um, and once our mood starts to go, if we don't put something in to help to lift it, even if it's a physical lift, you know, we get some nice endorphins going or something like that, um, then we'll, we keep slipping. Yeah. It's interesting what you said about, um, like, saying no to things, because I think the, there's ever-increasing pressure, isn't there, on yeah. people from, you know, work and kind of how they appear on to other people online or, you know, Oh, that's that. always been around, I guess, the keeping up with the Joneses, maybe, or what that type of thing. But I think yeah. with social media and everything, there's definitely um, people that feel like they're always competing and got to, you know, look a certain way. Yeah, it used to be neighbours, just keep up with the neighbours. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now it's the whole world. <laughs> yeah, like. it is, and it's accessible, isn't yeah. it? It's like, oh, I'm doing really badly today. Everyone else is doing amazing. And and that is one of the things, I think boundaries is one of the key things around mental health. And it is about saying no, um, but also protecting yourself, you know. So um, how much we're looking at things online, how much news we're taking on board. You know, I've switched all my notifications off. Because actually, generally speaking, on a day-to-day -day basis, does that stuff actually affect me? Probably not. Cost of living obviously does. But all those other things that the media tell us is really important actually isn't that important to us on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. If we take control of what we've got and who's around us, that's what we've actually got control over. So the boundary part is, you know, how are we looking after ourselves? How are we saying no to things? If we're saying yes and then we immediately resent it, you know we're not saying yes to the right things yeah he was <clears throat> saying yes because we're trying to people please or we're trying to you know not let somebody else down or whatever that might be but we might let ourselves down in the process so you know it has to we need to reflect on that really because our boundaries are all over the shop you know we can access things 24 7 we can be accessed 24 7 um and often we are quite conditioned to um you know do the I say do the right thing but you know be who people want us to be and one of the biggest things I talk a lot you know I talk a lot about with clients is about their own identity and who are they really you know what what what's that about and how would it be if you're not who they expect you to be but who you think you are or want to be and that can be quite challenging because people don't like it people don't like change um people have expectations of us that that they don't like it if we don't meet them you know all of that kind of stuff so it, it's hard to make changes because actually it's easier not to, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. I think it's difficult as well, like being, it's one thing I've struggled with personally, like since setting up a business is like those boundaries with kind of, you, you feel like you always have to be on almost because, you know, things happen at, you know, all hours or, um you just you, your brain's always thinking about how can i improve this oh so and so's just you know done that how could we maybe you know the, there's all these things think constantly thinking about the well-being of the business and how and what needs to be done you know either on a day-to-day -day or so it is difficult to um i think i've got a bit better at that you know just kind of putting my phone to one side 
But yeah, in the weekend or in the evening. It's making conscious choices. I mean, we, yeah. we do a lot of work with business owners and a lot of coaching, a lot of, um, you know, after COVID, a lot of therapeutic support, just people getting in touch with, with me and say, who I know, you know, through the business world and going, I just need to talk to somebody. Can you match me with someone? And um, because they were all over the shop. Boundaries just went out the window because we were surviving. You know, yeah. you had to get done what <clears throat> you had to get done. Um, and I think we all felt quite a, a collective trauma from that you know are we going to lose everything we've built up and yeah there's such a lot we couldn't do to try and save it if you like we had to fit in with what was available now and i think one of the things about being entrepreneurial is you that's part of our our qualities if you like is that our brains are constantly ticking over we could do that differently we could uh, speak to so and so we could you know we need to write that bit down and we need to um need to talk to them to see if we can collaborate and you know there's all those things going on constantly but some of it is um that's a great thing. It's a really good thing, but it's how you manage it. You know, do you do you make a note of it somewhere and come back to it when you can? Or because um, for me, I have millions of ideas. My team, I, I've learned over the years, I don't tell them <laughs> all of them <laughs> because they'll just go, "Oh God, here we go." Um, because it's not good. Because yeah. what's going the ticker tape that's going through here, I have to manage it. It's not fair for me to then pass that on into my business and everyone be like, "Oh, we're doing this." Today we're doing this then, or we're doing what she said yesterday. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, because yeah. you've got to model it for other people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. People are like struggling. It's like everybody, you know, kind of went into almost survival mode. Definitely. After kind of um, COVID, the lockdown, everything else, and then kind of things are looking better. And then I know personally, a lot of businesses again are kind of worried about cost of living and kind of how to. Yeah. So, yeah, it just feel yeah, it does feel a bit like we've come out the the just starting to see some kind of settlement after COVID, and then and there's a whole other set of challenges yeah, on the yeah. way, and it's just the, and it's how much capacity you've got for them, isn't it? Because I think yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I, I got to the point where I was like, oh, I, I'm I am tired, I am tired, you know, burnout, yeah. and um, you know, did everything we that I possibly could, and and my part of it was because I knew I got people relying on me. Secondly. I've got three three t- children married and you know I've got mortgage to pay and you know all the stuff that everybody else has to worry about and um I think one of my biggest worries was what if what I think is important as in mental health and therapy what if other people don't think that's important anymore that was my that was my that's what my fear came down to and you know if we can't survive what what then what does that what does that mean because then we've all got a trajectory in our heads of where we're heading and unless you're ready to sell your business or come out of it in some way or another we're on that trajectory of running it aren't we mm, yeah. um, and then suddenly you're on a surreal roller coaster ride yeah of what's going on but i guess th- so for you guys i guess did it um after that initial concern of you know people not seeing it as important or whatever i'm guessing that quickly shifted did it the other way it was literally we turned we moved all the services online within 48 hours we'd written handbooks and done training with everybody about how to do this um and and then we went for it and we basically carried on seeing people in person who you know we assessed a risk between suicidal ideation and risk from a mental health perspective to covid risk and we we decided that we would keep that minimal but there were certain people who just couldn't leave um so we continued some of that and we also then moved everything else online or on the telephone or we did facetime we did people out on walks whatever we whatever we could do yeah how did did. you find that kind of going taking 
services online? It was um, it was a bit of hold on tight, you know, which it always is, yeah. isn't it? When you're doing something different. Um, and what was fantastic was the team came up with like loads of creative, innovative ways of being able to do some of the stuff we were doing in a therapy room online. So, you know, someone had found an online, we, with younger children, we sometimes use sand trays and they'd found an online sand tray in a, you know, a doll's house and a white, we'd got whiteboards. And as things were, as the technology was starting to kind of move with some of this stuff as well, we could move with it. Um, so it, it worked, it worked really well. And actually for the business, it's been massively beneficial because we're all over the UK now. Yeah, yeah you know whereas pre-covid if i'd said to my therapist right we're going to offer an online service that have been like well it's not the same it doesn't work the same yeah, yeah, yeah. and i would have probably agreed although i'd got some online clients at that yeah, point yeah. it wasn't massive and now yeah. we can do it anywhere yes so. sometimes the circumstances like those challenges work out it's like a benefit you really yeah where you have to dive in through because it's the only option yeah but it it does remove all those barriers it's like going back to what i was saying about when you set up a business it's it's difficult um obviously there's varying you know depending on what position you're in at that point in your life or whatever yeah. you know it is very difficult but i think there is something to be said for just kind of um jumping into that pressure and just sort of it's like that old um saying where you jump off a cliff and build a plane on the way do you know down, what so do you know yeah. what it was uh, which is it, could probably overused but no well it was it, when i went i first went to see um mark webb at the hive you know when i was in the nhs and i was like i don't know if it's got legs should i should it be a, a company should it be a social um a community interest company should it be a social enterprise and um, I was like, well, you know, what about, there's no guarantees. And, and I remember he's exactly, he said the, um, you know, you don't see the net until you've jumped. And I was like, that's really helpful. <laughs> Thanks so much. Um, but he was absolutely right because actually you don't have the space for the net until you've jumped. You know, if you're mm. safe yeah. Yeah. and you're in a job that pays you a salary every month um, and you know it's coming and you know you get your holidays and you get your annual, you know, your, 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 your leave and everything. Um, your sickness pay if you've got that deal or whatever that's a very very comfortable place to be even if you're not happy in the job because the security there so jumping out of that my, my husband thought I was crazy yeah he was like well, why would you leave a perfectly good job and I was like because I I'm unhappy and I want to do it better and differently and um, so I had we had it was quite a tough time in that I'm just going to go and give it a go and my dad was the one who said he'd run his own business when I was younger just said you know, if you don't, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You go and do something else. Mm. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. He came up with it. Well, he posted another one the other day, Matt Webb as well, LinkedIn about, um, you probably heard at the, um, oh, what was it? Ships are safe in part, but they're not built. They're not uh, no, meant exactly. to be in part. Yeah, so. And you do, I think it tests your metal, doesn't it? When things yeah. are going against, when you're kind of up against it. I, I remember thinking or times when I you know I've thought oh my god I don't know my business partner going and change of name and covid and you know things that become stress stressful and thinking well I'm either I've either got it or I haven't and this is going to be testing yeah. testing whether I can get through it or not mm -hmm. and actually at those times my I flip into being less emotional about it and more strategic yeah and that's when I know right okay I've 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 got this because I've figured it out it's when I'm feeling aggrieved and yeah. upset and it's unfair and all of that kind of stuff that I think 
come on, have a word with yourself. Let's sort this out and yeah, get a plan in yeah. place, and then off we go. Yeah, it's it's hard to yeah. Sometimes those challenges strip away that because I because I find I go back and forth with um, like you say, emotion comes into play. Yeah. You just, uh, I'm I'm quite bad for procrastinating sometimes because I like to think about things quite a long time sometimes yeah. before I. But I've learned to get a bit more, you know, make quicker decisions. And it depends on why you procrastinate. If you procrast- procrastination is because I might, it might not work, or I might get it wrong, or I might I need to sort of every angle. Then you never know every angle, and I think that's the bit where you just have to go for it. Yeah. Well, I, that's one of the bits I love about running a business is we're just like, well, let's give it a go and let's see if it works. And if it doesn't, you know, we've we've tried it or we'll tweak it and we'll yeah. pilot yeah. something. And um, that's the only way to do it, really. Mm. I think mine's because I'm too idealistic sometimes. Mm-hmm. So if I think, oh, say we're going to um, offer like, you know, it could be anything like starting this podcast or do building a new website or anything. I always... Almost in my head, I'm like, right, well, the foundation needs to be this before we even start. Or, but I've realized that I need to do away with that and just be like, right, let's just start and yeah. we'll just figure that out. And that's something I've got better at. Yeah. But and that's out of need, isn't it? Yeah. It, yeah. Must. It's kind of, it goes by what you said earlier. Some of those skills are useful, though, because I'd say, like, I'm definitely a perfectionist. So, I, you know, sometimes seeing the details are helpful but sometimes it's a hindrance but that's that i think that's about who you've like for the two of you you'll have different ways of approaching those things and that probably complements yeah then yeah. what you I'm achieve just like dive straight into everything. yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. you the opposite yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but it does work out well yeah, yeah. That, you've, you've got the bases covered and i think that i mean my, my leadership team they with we know which is what, what our strengths are and i will I will wing it. I will wing stuff. I do a lot of professional speaking. I'll still be finishing tweak. If I've been really busy, I'll still be tweaking stuff before I go in, you know, like in the car park and stuff. Nobody knows that, but I, and I rock up and I'm like, yeah, I've got this. And it's only because I'm, I've done it for years, you know. If I said to one of my team, can you go and just rock up and deliver that and finish it off half an hour before you present it? They'd be like, uh, no, yeah, that's not happening. But they will see the detail in some of the things that I need them to see the detail in because I'm not seeing that. Um, and I know perfect doesn't exist and I, you know, I see people striving for that a lot in mental health, you know, with their, with themselves as people. So actually letting go of that's quite a nice thing, you know, and just going, well, it'll be good enough. And that's yeah. the best way of approaching it, I think. Yeah. So who, who's kind of inspired you, would you say, on your journey? So in terms of people who inspire me, I think, um, it comes from different angles and, you know, so there's my family that I grew up with, you know, in the family business. And I learned a lot from them about, you know, what works and what doesn't work and how to how to run a family business, if you like, what everyone's included in it. Um, and then in terms of my family I have now, my, my, my children who are all teenagers currently um, and, you know, I, I love being around them and they challenge me every day and... Um, but I learn a lot from them as well. So, and they learn from me. So that that's great in terms of inspiration, you know, for thinking about the pressures they're under and, you know, what's going on for them and what's brilliant as well, because they've got some fantastic ideas and they're really funny. All three of them are very bright and funny people. So I love spending time with them. Um, and, 
you know, I suppose it's inspiration slash support, but my husband, who's been in the background a lot of the time, we've started to come more into Vortis now. Um, but he's he's been the person who's kind of been like, you know, I always think of it a bit like a boxing match, you know, kind of my corner man. So I, I, I go out like a bit beaten up and he kind of gives me a pep talk and pushes me back in the ring. It's that kind of thing. Because um, it's, it's hard, it's tough, isn't it? Running a business and trying to be on top of everything. Um, and it is personal, you know, business is personal because it's everything I believe in is in, mm. in this business. So having that support and, and him, you know, and even when I did my, I did my first, I done two TEDx talks and the first one was in 2018 and I couldn't think of how I was going to approach it. And he'd bought me um, a piece of um, pottery, Kintsugi pottery, which is Japanese and it's made, um, put back together with gold. So it's Yeah, really, yeah, we did, um, we did a Kintsugi shoot. Yeah. Um, a while back yeah yeah um yeah i mean it's a cool concept i suppose it might be worth explaining that for the the concept yeah so so the concept he bought it for me because it was almost representative of me like been through quite a lot and and he'd written me this lovely card about you know being me being resilient and all these things that he sees in me that i probably at the time didn't feel and wasn't seeing and that was really it was fantastic because it meant that i could see what he was seeing and then I took that idea to the TEDx talk and I did it about, um, you know, about having a Kintsugi, you know, piece of pottery. And if everybody had one that represented them, they would all be different. You know, they'd all have different cracks and chips and they'd have different bits that were patching up, you know, bits of damage. And um, and they would all completely represent everybody as a completely individual piece of pottery. And that's kind of really fits with my view of mental health, really, that mm. we're all different but we're all made up of things that have happened to us. And rather than it being a, a terrible thing, how can we make it into something that actually celebrates who we are? And because it does make us who we are, it does have a habit of defining us whether we want it to or not. Yeah. So that was a, the idea behind it. So that was in, that was an inspiring idea that I, I hadn't had myself. He, I've taken full credit for it ever since in my TED talk, but he, <laughs> uh, he gave it to me at the beginning. So, you know, I've got fantastic parents and, um, and I, from a business perspective, I follow different podcasts and, you know, um, and I listen to different business leaders and listen to their ideas and things. And I think, um, I was saying to you earlier that I'll, I'll, I'll be sat somewhere, I'll be on a train or I'll, I'll pull over my car and think, oh, I really need to think about that. And I'll just tap it in my phone. And, mm. you know, it's just those ideas. You, you need that, insp that feed, I think yeah. sometimes. Mm. Yeah. I think, um, it, I mean, for me, it's kind of surrounding, you know, with even down to like our business Instagram, I've followed loads of, um, you know, sort of brands and agencies and people that inspire mm. me in terms of like the work that they do or their brand, yeah. or, you know, the, the way they approach things and stuff. And I think mm. that's the healthy side maybe of like social media, you know, like yeah, definitely. absorbing the, I try and just follow um, accounts that make me kind of feel uh, positive or do you know I, I, I was talking I was doing a talk the other day and I was saying about make it the best magazine you've ever read you know like if it was the magazine you could yeah. pick off the shelf what would it mm. what would be on it so I have a work phone and I have a personal phone and what I follow on my work phone is different to what I follow on my personal phone because the personal stuff is just stuff that makes me laugh or yeah. gives me ideas and um it might be about <laughs> being perimenopausal you know things that are happening to me and then on my other one, it's like accounts that inspire me from a business perspective and, 
you know other psychologists psychotherapists that kind of thing seeing what people are mm. are doing not to um replicate it but just sometimes it's useful to get a thought process going yeah, yeah. it's difficult if all the ideas are coming from you as an individual yeah about anything um so in terms of like your sort of personal career goals like is there any anything kind of in your built into your vision that you'd um that you'd like to achieve either in the near or the distant future um it's an interesting one actually because i think i've only just really started to think about me as a kind of not a separate entity to fortis but as as in not just being fortis if you like um and i do want to i do a lot of speaking and um and i want to do more of that um because it's something i really enjoy doing and i love being able to speak to lots of people and get a message across that you know if i was just doing that on a one to one basis it would take me many many years to get those messages across so that works really well for me um i want to write a book as well that's on my plan to do um and i've got two or three different ideas about what that might be um so i've been talking to some people about that recently um and then also things like I, I'm quite interested in property as well. So we've just been developing a new building for, well, not new, Georgian, but new to us uh, for Fortis. And um, it's taken us a while to to get to the point we're at now. We, we've been looking for a building for um, years, actually, um, and look around a lot. And the, the biggest problem we found is that most buildings are set up well older buildings I quite like that kind of homely feel for the for the headquarters anyway a lot of the other offices are, are, are different to that but that we've got but um I wanted it to be something that felt more homely um and we've looked at a lot of different buildings but none of them have really fitted what we need it for and we can't have rooms off rooms you know it's got to be separate spaces and confidential and, and all that kind of thing so um, we we bought um, a building on Dudley Street in Grimsby, which was my dentist up until about five years ago. Wow. It's a big old Georgian place, and uh, we we've taken it on and we're doing it doing it up basically um, with everything that an old building brings, with all the surprises uh, that we found under floorboards and all sorts of things that we've had to rebuild and things. But um, hopefully by middle of Jan, it'll be near enough where we need it to be. So um, how is that in terms of your business then in terms of capacity? And yeah, it's improved the capacity. Uh, it, it's given us more therapy rooms. It'll give us a room where um, we've, I've got a podcast so we can do some podcast recording in it, hopefully. Um, we can do a bit more social media content because it'll be set up for that. Um, whereas at the minute, it's, you know, what it's like you have to try and find the right place with the right lighting and you know yeah, yeah. my hair's got to be curly a little bit at least <laughs> um things like that so uh so it'll give us more content for that it's got training room in it as well it's got more office space so the the ops team the operations team's expanded already re in readiness for that um and it's got a little courtyard area so we have to do some outside work as well so um it's a it's feels like it's um you know, proper HQ really. Not not that the one we're going now doesn't, but it's ours and we can make it fit yeah. how we want it to look and feel really as you walk in. So is your plan to kind of um, keep sort of expanding with demand, the kind of demand? Of yeah. Ours? 